0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Seek First Podcast, where we share biblical truth and engage in today's culture. Rick Brown here. Take a minute to subscribe to Seek First Podcast. I really appreciate it. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. Spending time with the Lord will be the best part of your day. So let's get ready. Grab your Bible, prepare your heart and your mind. Let's roll. Well, it is... uh been a very exciting week, but let me tell you, getting into God's Word in this passage of Scripture, in John chapter 11, the title of our message is The Lazarus Project. I call it The Lazarus Project because when I go through chapter 11 and chapter 12 of the Gospel of John, some transforming work as God is working in me as a project in process. And there's some real challenging things that go on in our life that is hard to process. It's hard to resolve in the suffering that we're going through or the suffering that loved ones are going through with the understanding of our God being love. And where those two things collide, it really turns people inside out sometimes. And maybe you're going through a struggle like that and you need this Lazarus project to see a full revolution, meaning Through the beginning, the middle, and the end to bring that full revolution for resolution for your own soul. Because once you tap into it and it becomes a part of your DNA by faith that this is the journey of the Christian life, you're going to have a depth of resource within you to face whatever, whatever comes your way. Because there's all kinds of storms coming your direction. How do I know that? Oh, I've got a word from the Lord. No, that's life. The Lord said, in this world, you're going to have tribulations. Have you had any? You're either coming out of a storm, in the middle of a storm, or going into a storm. Isn't that good news? But sometimes there's long seasons of peace. And long seasons of peace, I don't know about you, but I, I like life. I want to be a part of the Bless Me Club. right? I only want good things. And I'm always dreading looking over my shoulder when the other shoe's gonna drop, the wheels are gonna come off, and things are gonna get really tough. Because in this world, you will have trib- tribulation, but be of good cheer. The one we serve says, I have overcome the world. Let's stand together and read these first 15 verses of the Gospel of John, chapter 11, as we look at our message, The Lazarus Project. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that he was sick, he went there right away. No, he did not. He stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, "'Let us go to Judea again.'" The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I might wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Father, we ask that you would minister and teach and write upon the tablets of our heart the deep truths of trusting you when we don't understand what's going on. We don't understand those things that are delayed in an answer from you. We don't understand, Lord, how you and your grace and your wisdom would let things get worse before you intervene and bring your rescue. But Lord, we trust you. We trust you with what's going on in our lives right now at this moment and pray that you would bring these things to remembrance in the future when we desperately need this truth of faith to hang on to. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. First thing we see in these first 17 verses, is the delay. And that is the delay that as this all begins to unfold, it says very plainly that Lazarus and Martha and Mary are loved by the Lord. As a matter of fact, this note that comes to Jesus is a very personal note to, from three of not only siblings, but three of Jesus' Favorite people, if I could say that simply because he spent a lot of time there having meals, and we'll see in chapter 12, he lets the cat out of the bag. This is that Mary that anointed Jesus' feet. Well, that doesn't happen until the next chapter, but he just can't resist. He's got to tell you, hey, this is the chick that did that. She poured out the perfume on Jesus' feet right before his burial. And they lived in this town of Bethany, two miles from Jerusalem, so it's very, very close. A short walk, and so he spent a lot of time there. These are not strangers, it's not some other individual. And the Gospel of John surrounds three miracles of the Lord Jesus, and, and this is one of them. Probably the most awe-inspiring, because if you have been around death, even recently, you know what an incredible enemy It is. That last enemy, the Bible calls it. Within the last five months, my mom has passed away from liver cancer. We had her memorial service a few weeks ago. My stepdad, two weeks after she passed away, passed away. And I've been doing the funeral arrangements for that. We have his service on Memorial Day this month. In that same period of time, Tammy has lost two aunts and an uncle within five months. So within our immediate family, we have these five deaths that have taken place, her Aunt Judy, her Aunt Doris, and also her Uncle Mike that recently just passed away. On top of that, I have a childhood friend that was there to comfort us for my mom's funeral, and at the same time, he was going to visit his son in Denver, and his son, who was 28 or so, took his own life, and so I've been ministering to him. Death is a real thing, and especially when it comes kind of like and you see it real close I remember sitting when I was a young man with my grandparents, and they were not far away from going home to be with the Lord, and they said, "Son, all we do these days is go to our friends' funerals." They were in their late 70s. And isn't it something that death that intrudes, it's this invasive dynamic that comes? And the more invested you are in that relationship, the deeper it hurts, and the more you sense a loss. That's why the power of the gospel is so important to state it right up front, as Jesus not only conquers the power of sin that dominates our life and ruins our daily experience, but it is the great fear of death that the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, that every human soul is in the bondage of fear of their death their entire life, whether they'll acknowledge it or not, in the back of their mind. Shall we not agree that the statistics on death are quite impressive? Right? One for one? Ten for ten? Hundred for hundred? You, you say, well, I came to church for an uplifting message, and look at you. You just took us into the funeral home. Well, I just want you to know that the power of the gospel brings hope in the funeral home. We do not grieve as those who have no hope. Now think about this as we walk through this. These are three really loved people by Jesus. It it tells us in verse 3, Therefore the sisters sent to him, they sent a note, Mary and Martha to Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and his, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now that seems so incongruent, doesn't it? He loves them so much, therefore he didn't go help. Have you ever cried out to the Lord about some desperate situation and you just felt like the Lord wasn't listening? That he was asleep in the boat, like when the disciples were terrified of sinking They like, have to wake him up. Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing? The Lord of glory <laughs> is on the boat, but they're freaked out because he's sleeping. Have you ever felt like Jesus was sleeping on the job and just really not tuned into things? But did you notice something? He said, this sickness is not unto death. He knows that Lazarus is going to die. He knows that he's staying a couple of days extra. He says, this is all going to, as it gets worse from just the sickness to death, and there's going to be a resuscitation. I'm not going to call it a full-blown resurrection, because the resurrection happens when you're in heaven forever. And I think, though this is a glorious story to point people to the power of Jesus to conquer death, this had to be the saddest moment in Lazarus's life. Right, you're in the glory, paradise, in Abraham's bosom. And after four days, you hear the voice, come back. He's like, no, all the way. Well, I get ahead of myself. Let's back up. As we look at this, Jesus delays. And I just want you to know that when the Lord delays, it does not mean denial. Sometimes we equate those two things together. The Lord is not answering yes right now, so he must be saying no. He might be simply saying not now or wait. I had somebody just a while back uh, share with me, God doesn't answer my prayers. I said, that's not true. They said, how do you know? I said, well, I just know because God answers prayer. And they said, well, I've been praying for this for a long time, and it's not happening. I said, God answered your prayer. He said, no, you just don't like to answer. You see... We're like little kids on the playground. We only think the Lord answers when he gives us the answer we want. And he may say no. He may say wait. He may say not now. Now, as this unfolds, it says in verse 7, then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. And are you going there again? I mean, it's, it's, you're taking your life in your own hands. But Jesus tells them, and this is an illustration about his timing, about the work that God has for him in verse 9. Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. He's like, hey, I walk in the daylight of God's will for my life. And I am untouchable until the Father's timing And so the father wants me to do this. He tries to convey that to the disciples. They simply don't get it. Getting God's will done is more important than worrying about your own self-preservation. And this reality is sometimes lost in a person that's their heart, all they think about in the, the depths of their soul is how's this gonna affect me rather than is this God's will? And those two things oftentimes are swinging back and forth in the souls of men and women. And this is what's going on with him and his disciples in verse 11. These things that he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that he may, I, I may wake him up. He's being very figurative. And I love this. All through the New Testament, you know when the Bible says somebody died, what's it say? And they fell asleep. Isn't that beautiful? Now, when you tell a three-year-old it's nap time, they freak out. No, they act like somehow you're torturing them. You tell me, a 57 year old guy, nap time, I said, now? Right? You're out. The older you get, the more you look forward to the nap. The young get, no, no nap. I don't want a nap. I'm not tired. And they're out. But the Bible says that when somebody goes to sleep, because you know, I'm never afraid to go to sleep, I look forward to sleep. And as you walk with the Lord, you look forward to going to sleep one day, closing your eyes on planet Earth and opening them to the glory of heaven where there's no more sin, no more sorrow, and no more heartache. Because here, this world has plenty of it, doesn't it? The pain in our own souls. So I love this beautiful story and the, the imagery that Jesus, hey, Lazarus, he, he just went to sleep. And they tell him, well, he's, he's going to wake up, Lord. And then he had to tell them plainly, Lazarus is dead, okay? he He's dead. But what does he say in verse 15? I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. Why did he delay two more days? He was glad that he was not there because he knew what he was going to do, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. And Thomas, who's a bit of the uh, questioning, doubting, fatalist, says, okay, let's just go die with Jesus. That's, he wants to do it. Let's just do it. Right? I don't think this is some bold bravado. Let's go die with our Lord. I think he's looking at the guys like, okay, let's go get toasted. Right, We're just going to be wiped out here. And it says in verse 17, he found that he had already been dead in the tomb four days. So four days, he's been dead, and now we see the interaction and we see the, the anguish of the soul of two sisters. Right? Have you been ministering to somebody that's just lost somebody they really loved? When my friend called, actually, I, I got a text from my, my brother that my childhood friend that I grew up with, playing ball with, and we had seen at my mom's, uh, the night before her funeral, and he said, Hobie's boy's dead. And so I called him, and he picked up, and he was just sobbing on the other end of the line. And, and I won't repeat everything that he said, you know, he, he knows I'm a preacher, he apologized after he poured out his heart of anguish with a lot of uh, colorful language. And I just said, man, I get it. I understand. You don't have to apologize to me for the pain you're going through right now. Losing a kid is the most painful thing you'll ever experience in your life. And right now, Jesus is going to step into that relationship with two sisters that have just lost their brother. And if you've lost a sibling, you know what that feels like. When my brother was 53, my oldest brother, he had struggled with fighting HIV and the complications with HIV and AIDS. He died in his sleep, and I got the call from my mom. And my brother and I, we went and took care of the funeral arrangements. And I was going to go to the church, a little Baptist church, where they're going to have their service. And my cousin was going early, but I didn't know. My mom had asked my cousin to take the box of ashes of my brother. And I saw Sean pulling out, and I said, hey, I'll jump in with you. And so I opened the door, and in the passenger seat was this box that was my brother. And I picked up this box of ashes and sat in the passenger seat with my brother's remains in my lap. And we drove to the church, and tears began to roll down my face. And I, I realized, in that moment, like part of me has just died. There's something about siblings. There's... There's part of me that no longer exists on planet earth in this relationship that I had, that has now, there's a a loss. There's been something subtracted from my soul and I won't see it again or have it again until I see him in heaven where he is safely enjoying life and has left us all behind to go through the adversities. Jesus now is gonna enter into a dialogue with sisters that are heartbroken. I share those things because you know what? Unless you get real and you bring it into your own brokenness and your own loss, the Bible just reads like a phone book. It really has very little impact. You have to put yourself in their sandals, in their shoes. Verse 20, it says, Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, now what's this sister who sent a note? What's she going to say to Jesus? Jesus. Lord, if you had been here, there's an accusation in her her tone, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She just knows that straight up. But even now, she has this faith. She accuses him of failing them in one hand, and then putting faith, she says, but even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. I know that Jesus, you could have kept my brother from dying, but now that he is dead, I know if there's anybody that can raise him from the dead, it's you. It's a mixture of the brokenness and the faith that so often makes up the human existence, isn't it? I'm really hurt right now because I feel like somehow the Lord's let me down and I thought it was going to go a different way. Does things always turn out the way you thought they were going to turn out? It's that old adage, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Because it never seems to go the way you think it's going to go. And the Lord says, My ways are above your ways. They're high, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above. You're finding out. But he's gonna work it all together for good in the mixture of this life. So she's got this brokenness and this hurt mixed with faith. Jesus says in verse 23, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I mean, she's thinking, yeah, I know at the resurrection. She believes in the resurrection of the just and, and those who are condemned without faith in God. She, she believes in that. She's like, in a sense, like, yeah, that's a long ways away. I, I know that that is going to be true. And Jesus said to her, this is, this is the mind-blowing thing in verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now at that moment, let me just ask you, do you believe this? Because this is the most radical statement any human being could make on planet Earth ever. This is why C.S. Lewis said, you cannot simply say Jesus was a good teacher. You cannot simply say this about Jesus. They had good morals or he was kind or he did nice things. You cannot say that. Because if this is not true, then Jesus is a liar. If he is not the resurrection and the life, Jesus is a liar. Well, let me just ask you, is Jesus a liar? If he's not a liar, he's mentally insane. Like, if I looked at you, let's think about this, guys. If I look at you and say, Rick Brown, I am the resurrection and the life. And if you would believe in me, you would have everlasting life or you would never die. The laughter begins. <laughs> Who let this guy out of the loony bin? Right, this, this guy's off his meds. He needs this medication. If I looked at my family and told him, oh, I am the resurrection, and I'll... it's like, <laughs> is this a joke? Think about how ludicrous it is. He's either lying or he's a lunatic or he's the Lord. And he's able. And what he says is true. That's why Jesus is not merely a good teacher. He's not just a moral, ethical man that is teaching good things. His claims are so outrageous that if they are not true, if they are not true, you're in the wrong place. Paul the Apostle says of those in in Corinth, he says, if there is no resurrection, Paul the Apostle says, we of all men are the most pitiable because we're living for a life that is following this life and living this one to the full, preparing for that one. He says, that's crazy. Right, if these things are not true. So he, asks, he declares this to, to Martha, and he asks her, do you believe this? And let me just ask you. You don't have to answer it out loud. Do, do you believe this? That Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and if you put your trust in him, though your body is going to die, your soul is gonna live forever. That's what he says. And that's pretty good news. Because I don't care who you are, the great questions of this life are answered through the gospel of who Jesus is. How did we get here? These are the three main main questions everybody has to answer. Even when they don't know how to ask them. How did we get here? Why am I here and where am I going? We are created in God's image for fellowship with God and we are returning to God when this life is over. This is the message of the Bible through the redemption that's in Jesus Christ. Let's remove the gospel remove Christianity and just think about today and evolution. How did we get here? You're an accident. Right? You're just an accident. There was this big bang and through a series of things, you know, there was this combustion that happened. Somehow a simple cell began and then it was, it was a, a little polywog and then it became a frog and then it moved through life. It's kind of like from the goo to the zoo to you. That's how you got here. Right? This is the simple message of a world that doesn't want anything to do with God. So if that's your, if that's your view, you're, you're free to follow that. How does that fill you with meaning? You're an accident. Why are you here? Well, the strong survive. So the the survival of the fittest, you gotta be stronger than everybody else. So if you take advantage of other people to advance your life, that's evolution. Where are you going? When you die, you're gonna go in a hole and you're gonna return to dirt and there's nothing after this. Now, if that doesn't rev you up for a pep talk for life. I'm an accident, I have no purpose and I'm going to a hole in the ground. Or, I've been created by God for a relationship with God, and I'm going to spend eternity with God. Which one makes you want to get up in the morning? Why are people so nihilistic, or they're just, people live in despair because they're, they're fatalistic. There's no purpose in living, so they pull the trigger, and they end their life, because they have no hope. The hope of the gospel and the message of the gospel and what changes our lives. In verse 27, she answers. Martha responds, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. I believe you're the Savior. You're the answer. You're the one that can save my soul. And you can do whatever you want to do in my brother's experience right now. You could have kept him alive while he was sick and healed him. But now if if you want to raise him from the dead... I know that you're able. Martha is viewed so often negatively. This lady has ginormous faith. She is a huge woman of faith. She likes to stay busy. She doesn't just sit at the feet and worship like Mary. But now we turn the corner and look at Mary. They both basically came with the same accusation. In verse 28, when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary her sister, saying... The teacher has come and is calling for you. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Mary, or excuse me, Martha met him. Then the Jews, who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her saying, oh, she's going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying, Lord, if you would have been here. <laughs> isn't that the accusation? How many parents I've sat with when their child has died and they said, the Lord could have prevented this. My son would not have died in that car wreck. The Lord could have stopped this. Where was the Lord? Where was the Lord in this? This didn't have to happen, and it's that accusation. Let me tell you, it's a, it's a big lift in faith to get over that hurdle of the doubt of pain and being able to see the Lord clearly. Job does it better than anybody in the scriptures. Job loses everything he's got. Loses 10 kids in one accident. They come and tell him, you lost all your kids, you lost all your donkeys, you lost all your, your sheep, all your cattle, you, lo- you lost all your servants. And he's so struck by this, he says, well, the Lord has given, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And his wife looks at him and says, are you still hanging on to your integrity, the bitterness of a mom's heart, losing 10 kids? She said, why don't you just curse God and die? Now those are two extremes about the same exact circumstances, aren't they? A brokenhearted mom and wife, and a brokenhearted father and husband, and one could see and trust and worship God even when they don't understand what's going on and the other one said just curse God, just curse God. I I can't stand this pain and it always goes back to where was the Lord, he could have stopped this, he could have fixed this, he's all powerful, he's all knowing But in God's sovereignty and in God's plan and God's timing and what he allows and what he permits through his loving fingers to come to the children of God, even Mary, the wonderful worshiper, says the same thing to him. She says to him, Lord, if you had been here, in verse 32, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus in his groaning, he sees the anguish of Martha. He sees the pain of Mary. He sees the anguish of those who are mourning. And he's groaning. And there's nothing, you know, when you walk in to a situation, because I've presided over so many funerals over all these years of ministry, I won't even know the family I won't even know but when I see their pain and I see their tears and you just you're so moved with compassion you're so moved with empathy because you know what pain feels like and for for them you're you tap into that loss that you've had in your life and now you connect with them. And the Bible says to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And Jesus does exactly that. And this is the mind-blowing thing to me is that so often people are unwilling to empathize and enter into that pain of other people because it's awkward. Somebody dies that you know and rather than somehow reaching out to them, somehow texting or calling or stopping by or somehow investing because it's so awkward, you're like, I don't know what to say. Exactly, just keep your mouth Shut when you don't know what to say. Just show up and cry with them, and they're gonna think you're the best rock star friend they've ever had in their entire life. That's all you have to do. You, you mean I don't have to have the perfect Bible verse. I don't have no. If you do any of that stuff, they will look at you and say, Please shut up. Job, when all his friends showed up, his four friends. They were quiet for the first seven days and they were fantastic friends. But as soon as they opened their mouth, he said, You're all miserable counselors. Because I want you to know, especially in the culture of the church, people have all these pithy little sayings and verses that they say at the wrong time to a, a broken heart. They say at the wrong time. That person just wants you to listen to them be angry, listen to the loss, and, and just listen. And in this moment, Jesus steps into their sorrow. He knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Why would he cry? It's like, hey, you know, hey, you guys, it's all okay. Don't worry. We're going to get him out of those old grave clothes. We'll be having dinner in an hour. No, he doesn't do that. He enters into their sorrow. You know what humans do? Humans get that exactly the opposite. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. When somebody's blessed, they get the raise, they get the new car, they get the new house, they get the baby, and, and, and it's a time to rejoice with them. People are bummed out that they're so blessed, they, they weep. It's like, That's backwards. And, and then when people go through sorrow and heartache, people quietly sometimes say, ah. Oh, You know, their life was pretty cushy. I guess it's time for them to experience some pain. The human heart is such a dark, wicked place. It's just, it's awful. Rejoice when people are rejoicing. And cry when people are crying. Jesus models it here in this shortest verse to weep, and it says, the Jews said, see how he loved him. You see, his compassion in this situation was a testimony to those who are not even walking with him. Look how he loved this man. Look how he was moved by compassion. It says in verse 37, some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? You see, nobody, <laughs> nobody's going to let Jesus off the hook for this. People that are not even walking with him. Hey, you know, he did some cool stuff. Don't you think he could have healed his friend? How come he didn't show up? Mary, Martha, why didn't you show up? Strangers, why didn't you show up? Where's God? And that's what ungodly people have hinted at to me, though they've never came out and said it when we're going through a time of sorrow. It's almost like, where's your God? I thought you were a believer. Doesn't God take care of his kids? He does, but I don't always understand what he's doing. When we were young, my wife and I had some good friends, and because my friends that I grew up with were bull riders, uh, I had a good friend that was 25 years old, and his goal was to make it to the national finals rodeo. And uh, so he had won quite a bit of money. He was now in the top 15. And he he was so excited, but he was walking with the Lord. And on Sunday after church, this Sunday we... My wife and his wife were pregnant with our firstborn at the same time. Kelly, his wife, was uh, about a month behind Tammy in pregnancy. And so their bellies got big together. And, you know, there's something fun and special about that as your friends. And we were playing, uh, Jeff and I, he's super competitive. We were playing badminton in our front yard, set up a little thing after church. And then we had uh, a barbecue and we ate. Well, on the next Sunday afternoon, I got a call from one of my other bull riding friends and said, Hey, Jeff's in the trauma center. A bull stepped on his head we have to get Kelly here before before he dies we're, we're, we're trying to get her here now he was in the Reno Triangle Center we were in Twin Falls Idaho they called me and and they didn't know how to run Kelly down she was over at her brother-in-law's so I called there and I got Kelly found somebody at the church that flew an airplane and we jumped in the plane to fly to Reno and Jeff died while we were in flight before we got there here's a mom with a baby on the way and her new husband of a few years, 25 years of age, was dead. We showed up at the hospital, and Jeff was so messed up with his face. They wouldn't let, there was so much blood and everything, they hadn't got him cleaned up yet. and They wouldn't let her see him. They just stuck one hand out of the sheet, and she got to hold his hand. Well, Jeff had shared with me a couple of weeks before that, that he'd been sharing his faith with everybody, except one person really intimidated him, his dad, Ron. He's kind of like a Marlboro man, big handlebar mustache, really tough guy, cowboy, rancher. And he said, you know, Rick, I would give my life to be able to share Jesus with my dad. There's nobody I love more than my dad, but I'm so intimidated by him, I can't share the love of Jesus with him. I would do anything to share Jesus with him. I would give my life. So about two or three in the morning, Ron, and his mom showed up, and uh, we went down to the funeral home to take care of the arrangements, Ron and I. And I pulled over in Reno, the strip of the casinos, you know, and stuff. Pulled over in one of the casino parking lots, and he said, what are you doing? I said, i got something to share with you. And we had already cried all our tears out, you know what I mean? When they got there, we hugged and cried, and I've known them since I was a, just a kid stayed at their house many times, and we cried. And I I shared that story with Ron. I said, Ron, you know, a couple weeks ago, Jeff told me that he wanted to share Jesus' love with you, and he would give his very life that you might believe. So I shared the gospel, very uh, concise, direct. Ron, do you want to pray right now and receive Christ? He loves you. He died on the cross for your sins. His blood will wash away your sins, and you'll have eternal life. And it's a pretty powerful P.S. I said, Jeff said he would give his life and you'd have this opportunity to hear this message. He's a tough guy. He's not making to push over. He goes, no, but thank you for sharing that. He kind of got bristled up and tough. I said, well, I'll think about it. We go through the funeral. We, uh, we actually had two funerals for him, one in his hometown and one where he was living, where we're at. But at the end, in this, uh, when the funeral was dismissing when we buried him, I heard a voice behind me saying, Rick, and I turned around and it was Ron. And he came up to me and he said, I want you to know my boy didn't die in vain. I've given my heart to Christ. And he's been walking with Jesus ever since. But in the moment of the sorrow and the, the pain and you're not sure what's really going on, sometimes it's tough to see any silver lining with loss and sorrow but the hope of the gospel can always bring things around that God does in fact work all things together for good for those who love him. Now in this process we see the deliverance in verse 38 Jesus again groaning in himself came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it and Jesus said, "Take away the stone." Martha the sister of him who was dead, <coughs> excuse me, said, "Lord, by this time, there's a stench. He, he smells. It's been he's been decomposing for four days, for he has been dead these four days. And Jesus said to her, "Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God?" Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, "Look at his prayer. He prays out loud for everybody to hear it. Father, I thank you." That you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. He prays, everybody's watching, imagine the crowd, imagine a funeral, even with as many people. If there was a casket here, the person had been dead four days, and rather than uh, us closing the casket and head to the cemetery, I stand back and say, rise up, and they come out of the casket. Now, I would say that that's a very dramatic moment, and I don't think that's an understatement. What do you think? <laughs> Especially if we'd had a viewing, you're all walking by the casket, right? And, and you've seen this dead body. There, there's something impactful about death like when you touch the person's hand and there's no longer blood circulating there's no breath there's no heartbeat there's no death i mean there's only death and he cries out for lazarus to come forward come forth as the old preacher has joked if he would have just said come forth the entire mountainside of graves would have emptied and everybody would have came so he had to be very specific lazarus you get to come up come forth today and this resurrection or resuscitation, because he's going to have to die again, so we're going to call it a resuscitation. This is basically a four-day, uh, a four-day after incredible supernatural CPR, raising this guy up from the dead after, um, you know, being dead four days and the stench that's there. I worked at a cemetery for four years. We put people into Muslims, Muslims, and sometimes you put one of the husband or wife in, and only three months later the other one passes away, and you have to open it up, and you have to put them in there and talk about a horrific experience you don't talk about while you're having dessert at Cheesecake Factory, because it's quite intense. These things are very real. And you'd wonder, what's, what's going to be the impact on all this crowd? What's the impact on your heart about these things? What's the impact when your loved one dies in a month? What's the reality that you have in your confidence with Jesus? When you're on your deathbed and you're looking at eternity with the Lord, what kind of confidence do you have that you're going to be with the Lord? It says in verse 45, the decision that's made. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen these things Jesus did believed in him. They watched the whole thing. They watched his weeping with her. They watched his love, his care, his tenderness. They, wa- they listened to his prayer. They watched him call forth and they said, you know what? This guy's not a liar or a lunatic. He's the Lord of life and death, of heaven and hell, of eternity, and I'm going to believe and trust in him. And they are moved. Now you would think, I mean, don't you, you would think the conversion would be 100%. Would it be in this room, like all of us are unbelievers, and this person rose from the dead right in front of you? I would think your conversion rate would be 100%, wouldn't you? I mean, how do you, and then, but there would be skeptics and say, oh, it was all a sham, they set it all up, or, or whatever, because there are some who believed, but you know what? There are others who did not. As a matter of fact, they not only did not want to, But they wanted to kill Jesus for doing it and killing Lazarus because he was exhibit A of supernatural power. You're like, what? How is that possible? says in verse 46, But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. And I love this line from these religious leaders, these unbelievers. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. Yeah, duh. Right? (laughs) Duh, everybody's going to believe in him. He can raise the dead. He can heal the sick. There is not a hospital on every corner. There's only cemeteries because people die, and you're going to die, and I'm going to die, and the people I love are going to die. But that's not the end of the story. It's graduation day. We get to go to heaven. Our last breath on planet earth is our first breath in heaven to see the Lord face to face. And it says in verse 53, then from that day on they plotted to put him to death. What do you do with a guy that can raise the dead? I say I bow my knee, I call him Lord, and I follow him. That's what I say. What do they do? Well, we got to kill him and shut him up, lest everybody believe. You see, I want you to know, notice in this end of a supernatural, the biggest miracle of the Gospel of John in another person's life, obviously setting aside Jesus' own death, burial, and resurrection and ascension into heaven. That's not on the same scale. It's a different story. But everybody was free in their will to choose. Free in their will to choose. There are those who believed and those who did not believe because God is a total gentleman. Did you know that? He doesn't put a gun to your head and say, oh, no, 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 no. You're going to believe. Now, how well would that work? If I asked Tammy, this week we celebrate our our 36th wedding anniversary anniversary. I remember being so nervous when I was going to pop the question. I was so nervous I couldn't get the words out, and she thought I was actually going to do the opposite, break up with her, because we had went together, broke up, went together, broke up. It was quite a stormy romance. <clears throat> but on that day, she had cooked us a lasagna dinner. We were in our sweats in my little one-bedroom apartment, and I couldn't get the words out, because all I could think of was her, me asking her to marry me and her saying no. And it was quite terrifying. When these people do these big public things to me, I'm always like, dude, like if this fails, it's going to be bad. Right? If she says, I don't think so. Right? They got got hundreds of people watching. And she's like, I don't think so. (laughs) Anyway, but I wouldn't have probably been afraid of Tammy's decision if I'd have pulled out a 45 and said, you are going to marry me. Because love must have a choice, right? Love must have a choice. It must be able to say, yes, I want that. No, I don't want that. It's a choice. And I want you to know, every single person in this room, those who are watching on live stream or this podcast or whenever they listen to this message, you are free to choose as you will, receive Christ or reject Christ. You're free. Nobody can force you otherwise. But let me tell you what you're not free you are not free to determine the consequences of what that decision brings. You are free to choose Jesus. The consequence of that is a glorious forgiveness, a transformation, love, joy, and peace here and now, and eternity with a loving God. That's the consequence. Reject him and you will be eternally separated from God in a place called hell. Jesus spoke more about hell. He mentions hell 11 times. He speaks more about hell than he does heaven. Why? Because in his love and his offer for you to make the right choice, he wants you to know you are free to choose, but you are not free to choose the result and the consequence of that decision. That's on him. You choose for me or against me, I will choose the destination you end up. Your choice. But you're not free after that. Now, see, people want the freedom to choose and they don't want the consequence of that. I'll tell friends of mine that were total heathen dogs, I would say, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? Well, I don't really want to know about Jesus. And I'll say, well, you know, there's an eternity coming, yeah, 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 I mean, at the end of life, I'm hoping to, you know, cry out to Jesus because I don't like the alternative. They don't want the consequence, they don't want it, but they know it straight up. People want to make all their choices and have no consequences. And if you're an adult and you put on your big boy pants, that's not the way life works. You get to make your choices. Consequences oftentimes are in somebody else's hands. In this case, it's the Lord Jesus. Chapter 12 tells us that from then on, not only did they seek to kill Jesus, but they had to kill Lazarus because he was exhibit A of a supernatural miracle in a person's life. Just like, you know, people don't want to hear about Jesus today and they want you They find out you love Jesus, they may want to cancel you out of their life because you are exhibit A of what faith can do in a person to have a transformed life. The Lazarus Project, in the soul of a man or a woman, is to bring us through the sorrow and the dilemma when we're confused about the Lord's timing and his delay and when he lets loss and sorrow and sickness and death happen and how he's going to work all that together for good. The real dilemma in the Lazarus Project story is to transform our hearts of unbelief into such a place of faith that even with loss, sickness, and death, I can trust God with it. And I can say as Job did, The Lord's given. The Lord's taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And his wife said, Why don't you just curse God and die? You see that brokenness going on between the two of them. He looked at his wife and he said this He said, Have we not received the blessings of God? Shall we not also receive the adversities that come into our life? You cannot get through this life with only a truckload of blessings. Also, not having adversity. Suffering brings brokenness, as C.S. Lewis said. The Lord whispers to us in our blessings. (laughs) He talks to us in our adversity, but he shouts to us when we're going through pain. Can you hear his voice? Probably depends on the season you're in life. Let's pray. Father, we ask that your spirit and your grace and your work would happen in our hearts. But I just want to pray for those right now that are in the dilemma of, they're so confused right now. They're so hurt. They're emotionally turned upside down because they've been crying out to you and it doesn't appear that you're working in the way that they really long for you to work. And those seeds of bitterness and resentment can be planted in the heart and plant fanned into a, a, a flame. And Lord, I, I just want to pray for those right now that they're going through a confusing time and they, they need an extra measure of grace and faith to get through it. To see your good hand in it somewhere, somehow. To endure, to get to the other side, to last long enough to see that you are working. Light in the darkness I want hope for the hopeless And rest for the weary mind And you've got truth for the taking But my heart won't be shaken If today be the day that I die Whoa-oh 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 Fear in time's trouble I keep my heart seeking you Oh, I will keep my heart seeking you Whoa